This is Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Bob Johnston, and you're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio, 89.5 FM and 92.5 FM in good old McLean County and Bloomington Normal, 88.3 in Pontiac, 97.1 in Lincoln, 89.1 in DeKalb, Sycamore, and 89.3 in Morris Joliet covering much of central Illinois, and now a lot of northern Illinois and still growing. We're going to have a great show for you today. I'm here with my wife, Lynn, and we have a guest with us today. Our granddaughter, Katie, is here, and I'll explain about that in just a little bit. Uh, I want to remind everybody out there again that we are brought to you by you, and if you would like to make a donation, we can always use one. And the best way to do that would be to go to our website, and that's catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's catholicspiritradio.com, and it will tell you there a lot more about us, and it will also tell you how to make a donation. And as always, large or small, any donation is always welcome. If you would like to call us, our number is 309-807-2427. Again, that's 309-807-2427. And... Uh, we had a baptism in our family last week. Uh, our great-granddaughter, uh, Josie, was baptized. And uh, during the baptism, it occurred to me how important uh, that occasion is. And also, it occurred to me how important the sacraments are. And I know that uh, there are things on baptism that I could brush up on, and I'm sure that uh, everyone there could brush up on as well. And I got to thinking that it would be a good time at this time of year to introduce the sacraments and go over the sacraments again. Uh, I think that uh, in the times that we live in, under a lot of the modernism and progressivism, the wokeism, if you want to call it that, there seems to be a war or at least a, a lot of anti-Christianity going on in general. And there is a, an anti-movement toward uh, Catholicism in particular and uh, especially Orthodox and traditional Catholicism. And uh, when this is going on, it would be a good time for everyone who is Catholic to understand what the basics of their religion are and to know more about their faith, because in the, the future, I think uh, we will be and have to be a countercultural force. Uh, I think uh, under modernism, uh, the, the idea is that people should be, in other words, sort of believe nothing in particular and uh, be willing to believe everything in general. And uh, when people are professing to believe in nothing in particular and willing to believe in everything in general, they are easy to control. And we are moving, I think, toward a more authoritarian society. Hopefully it will turn around, but we'll see. And uh, an authoritarian society is always against uh, religion in general, and especially a dogmatic and fixed religion in particular, because they like a people who are willing to be much more manipulated and uh, believe in a wide number of things. Uh, and a lot of the fads, the modern fads that are being introduced, uh, that people use to manipulate other people and to... Uh, advance their own particular agenda is much easier to advance when people are willing to believe uh, various things and be willing to give up one belief and accept another at the drop of a hat. So it's important, I think, for Catholics more than ever before 
to understand their faith. And I think a good understanding uh, starts, uh, maybe not completely starts, but uh, certainly it rests on the sacraments. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and, and start with those. Is there anything before we get started, Linda, you might want to say? Well, I think the baptism was very beautiful in watching it. Uh, I took a lot of pictures with my camera, so. but Monsignor Father Eric, he explained the th- everything to the family. To the other side of the family, and I don't know. Did you find it distracting? I thought it was wonderful. They really appreciated it. Yeah, I, I thought that uh, Father Eric did a nice job in explaining uh, the baptism as, as he went along. And I thought to myself, everyone appreciated that explanation. I did, and I think everyone there did, and it made it uh, a lot more uh, meaningful to have the explanation. And that's what sort of made me think that it would be a good time, especially at this time of year. And, uh, you know, with the uh, Easter coming up, the new season coming up. Uh, and with the way things are uh, in our times, it would be a good thing to go over the sacraments again. Because, you know, there are the bedrock in, in the, of the church. And uh, it, it's important to uh, understand and know those. And so I don't think it hurts at all to Oh, no, even... And I wanted to also, Katie, uh, is there anything, any comment you want to make before we start? I'm talking with my granddaughter here. She's here sitting in with us. And uh, Josie was baptized last week. And and I think all of us enjoyed the explanation that uh, Father Eric gave. And if it was good for us, I think it would be good for our audience out there, too. Don't you, Katie? Oh, I uh, 100% agree. It was very nice that Father Eric explained everything. Um, I had never seen a baptism before because I was baptized and then there are no more babies and you just kind of grow up in the faith. And so being able to see it firsthand with the explanation, it made it that much more meaningful and really like brought it to your understanding of the faith, I guess. I know. And I understood. And I know, and I asked you later on, I said, Katie, have you ever seen an exorcism? And, of course, you immediately said, oh, no, I never have. And then I started laughing, and then you realize all of a sudden what I was driving at. And the fact is, a baptism is actually a minor exorcism. Right. And uh, the the person being baptized has all of their sin removed. And uh, also, any uh, adverse influences uh, from the other side are driven out. And that's one of the things that baptism is for. Uh, a major exorcism, of course, is uh, you know something larger than that. It can only be performed by a priest. We'll get into baptism later on. We know that a baptism can also be performed by a deacon, or a baptism can be formed also not be performed also by lay people if necessary under certain conditions. And we'll get into that more. But it was just interesting to you know know all of those things and and have a better understanding of the baptism. I think we're going to have after this a better understanding of the sacraments. Right. I think it's an ideal time to do it because people in RCIA are getting ready and prepared. Uh, for the reception of the sacraments of initiation, which are, Bob, baptism. Baptism and uh, confirmation and communion. Right. Are the sacraments of initiation. initiation. Exactly. And uh, those sacraments can be, uh, 
certain sacraments, such as baptism, it can only be formed, performed once. And also, I think a confirmation can only be performed, right. be performed once. So it's important to know those things and why. And uh, we will get into them specifically, but I'm going to get in first to the uh, sacraments in general. Uh, I will touch before we start uh, a little bit. We've talked on baptism a little bit. I want to touch uh, just on the Eucharist very quickly, and then we will go back and talk about sacraments, and we'll work our way back to the individual sacraments, even if it's probably not going to get there today. But we will, you know, by next week, and so we'll we'll go in that that process. Uh, and yeah, I'd like to see us take a little bit, you know, a time. We will with each of them. We will take time with each of them, but before we even do each of them, we'll go over sacraments just in general, what they are and how they work. And uh, I want to touch uh, again when we talk about the sacraments, we are talking about the crown jewels of the Catholic Church, and that's that's exactly what the sacraments are. They're the crown jewels of the Catholic Church, and uh, the uh, uh, Eucharist is, you know, the most important of all. And so I want to touch on that just a little bit, and then we'll go back into the sacraments. But, uh, you know, the, the question is, is why did God, you know, institute the sacraments, and why did God specifically institute the Eucharist? And... Uh, the whole answer to that begins with reality itself. And we will start with the sacraments and work back to this. But God made the universe to house the church. Uh, from the Catholic point of view, the whole universe was made to house the church. And he made the church to house the Eucharist. And if we go back and look at a cathedral, the cathedral is a representation really of the universe. And the, the medieval idea of the universe is found in every detail of a cathedral. And we'll learn about that a little bit more as we go along. And uh, the cathedrals were made to house the Eucharist. And the whole church on earth is the house of bread called Bethlehem. That's exactly what Bethlehem means, the house of bread. So if we go back and look at a cathedral, that cathedral was made, its whole purpose was made, in effect, to for the Eucharist, the house of the Eucharist. And the cathedral, in effect, represents the universe, and the universe was made to house the church, which houses the Eucharist. So the whole thing is tied together in Catholicism, and it's a beautiful, beautiful concept, and Catholics out there ought to know that. But we'll come back to that and talk a lot more about that, and probably we won't get there back to the Eucharist until next week. But we're going to start now with the sacraments themselves and talk more about the sacraments. Before I begin, is there anything else that you want to say, Lynn or Katie? Well, you know, when the churches were built, they uh, it's probably not time to get into it, but they are in the form, they used to be in the form of a cross. Uh, you have the apps and everything going up to the altar and then it spreads out to either side which is the sign of, is the form of a cross exactly and you house the eucharist in the center at the center of all attention is right there exactly and if you look at the cathedrals the the, you know, the, the beautiful stone cathedrals that were made this idea that somehow the me medieval period was some kind of a dark backward age is nonsense medieval period was one of the most exciting times of advancement of Western civilization on the face of the earth. And take a look at some of those beautiful cathedrals. They're still in existence today. They are giant ships sailing through time. 
and carrying the Eucharist. Uh, and uh, as they sail through time, the you're talking about the apt the procession the procession in the Catholic Church during the Mass. We are processing east. And right. moving toward where heaven is actually coming down to touch the earth at the altar. And the priest is offering up a sacrifice, and we're in contact, actually, with heaven coming down. And we see that uh, things are changing. The old world is passing away, and the new world is coming into existence, and all of this is happening in the universe, and it's happening in the cathedral and in the church, which is a <laughs> a sort of a sub-part of the cathedral, in a sense. And uh, so... This all was the idea of the medieval times representing, you know, God's whole plan for the universe and representing the universe itself. And we as Catholics should know that we have all of that incomplete uh, all together. And so when you are understanding the Catholic faith, you're understanding the entire entirety, I should say, of the Christian faith, everything of the Christian faith. We're losing nothing. Right. And our first sacrament is baptism. It's the, probably, well, it's very, very important. We're doing what? We're following what Jesus told us. And in Matthew 28, what um, does it say? It says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always to the close of the age. There you go. And that's exactly what we'll learn. We'll understand what the sacraments are, and we'll learn that the sacraments are necessary. Uh, I know our yeah. pro- our Protestant friends may say something like, you know, the idea that uh, uh, we're saved by Christ, and so we're not saved, you know, by sacraments. It's Christ that saved us. But the fact is, is that his his uh, redemption has to be applied to us, and it's applied to us through the sacraments. And so the Catholic Church understands that Christ is our Savior, but he does it in a certain way, and the grace that we get is applied through the sacraments. So the question is then, uh, you wanted to say something, Lynn, was I? No. Okay. The question then is, what is a sacrament? And the answer is, a sacrament is a sacred sign instituted by Christ to give grace. In other words, that's how we get grace, uh, through the sign of the sacrament, and that's how Christ applies grace to us. And first, the sacrament is a sign. A sign always signifies something, points to something real beyond itself. Specifically, their purpose is, is to be a sacred sign to teach sacredness, holiness, and sanctity. And sacraments give grace um, by the Latin term ex opere operato. Now, what does that mean? Sacrifice, sanctify men not merely by teaching, but also by actually giving the grace they signify. And uh, one of the analogies that I've used when we taught RCI Aland was an analogy of, of a stop sign. You can take a stop sign. It's a sign. It conveys information to us. And as we're going down the road and we see the stop sign, it tells us that we're supposed to stop. And if we are open to that stop sign and understand it, we still have to actually go through the motions of getting the car stopped. We have to uh, understand the sign, accept the fact that uh, we need to obey it, and then do it by placing our foot on the brake, slowing the car down, and coming to a stop. We have to actually act and, 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 and do it. 
but a, a, a sacrament operates ex opere operato, and that means by the power of the sign itself. It would be almost as if we were going down the road, and we see the stop sign, and because we're open to the stop sign and understand what it means, accept it, and are willing to obey it, then the car begins stopping by itself. In other words, the sign actually operates. The, it, it does what it signifies by its own power. We don't have to do anything uh, except be open to it. So it's a sacred sign that actually affects what it signifies. Sacrifice, in other words, sacraments really work. They really give grace. And then grace means the undeserved gift of God it is the work of God himself. The sacraments give grace ex opere operato, which means from the performance of the act itself rather than from, than from the individual human souls, the feelings or experiences or spiritual energies of the person receiving the sacraments. In other words, it doesn't come from our own spiritual energy. It comes from God's energy itself. This also means that it is not usually subjectively felt or experienced. So if you go to communion and people will say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. The fact is, is if you're open to it, believe it and understand it, you don't have to feel anything. You don't have to feel suddenly as if uh, the Holy Spirit has come up through your feet or come down through from the sky. You don't have to feel any special feeling. The work is being done for you as long as you're open to the sacrament. And that's a, a, a great thing to know and understand. You don't have to bring all kinds of emotion with you. You don't have to go to church and constantly uh, focus on every single thing and somehow think if your mind wanders or something, you're not getting anything out of it. You are. And God works uh, by the grace slowly and plants the seeds and they grow as you grow. And as you get older and you keep up with the faith, you will begin to see changes in yourself. God remains an object of faith rather than a feeling or experience. The sacraments do not usually feel miraculous. So at this point, we're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. This is it. The final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play, the greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18, 25, and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. Hi, 
this is Bob Johnston. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We've been talking about the sacraments, and we're going to go ahead and continue with that. It's important for Catholics to understand their faith, and I think uh, it's really important to understand exactly what the sacraments are, how they work, and then we'll go through each individual sacrament. Uh, We may not be able to do all of that today, but we'll work toward that, and we'll pick up uh, where we left off next week as well. Uh, so I want to talk here a little bit about also the fact we were talking rather about the fact that the sacraments work by the power of the signs themselves. A sacrament is a sign that's instituted by Christ. They give grace and that sign gives grace by its own power. We simply have to be open to it. We don't have to experience anything or feel anything. The work is done for us if, if we're open to it and understand what they are. And uh, we need to understand also that Christ is present in the sacraments. Christ was not only present at the origin of the sacraments 2,000 years ago, but he is really present and active in them now. Christ is not passive, but active. He is not merely signified, but actually acts. He does not sit still like an artist model, but he works like the artist. Uh, the Sacraments are efficacious, that is, they actually work, only because in them Christ himself is at work. It is he who baptizes when we experience a baptism. It's Christ who is doing the baptism. Uh, The priest is acting uh, in persona Christi. Uh, He's acting in the place of Christ, but it's Christ that is doing the work. He who acts in his sacraments in order to communicate the grace that each sacrament signifies. And uh, again, each sacrament operates ex opere operato by the power of the sign itself. And that doctrine is not only true, it is also powerful. Since in each sacrament Christ is really present, the same Christ in different ways and different actions, we are not alone in any sacrament. We are with Christ. So by accepting the sacraments, it is a means of being with Christ. We are also with the whole church, his body. For wherever he is, his body is. Though the recipient of each sacrament is always the individual person, each sacrament is public and communal. And communal, since it is it is administered by the Catholic Church as a whole, by the authority of Christ or head. In other words, if we go back, as as Lynn pointed out, to the earliest times, Christ founded a church. And he founded that church, of course, on on the rock of Peter. And he founded his church, and he gave his church the sacraments. And it is the means by which he applies his grace to us. So, uh, the sacrament is not wrought by the righteousness of either the celebrant or the recipient, but by the power of God. Sometimes you hear people say, well, you know, there may be a priest that they don't like or Maybe a priest is lacking in something, or maybe someone is even aware of the fact that the priest is in some way uh, sinful or living in sin. But all of us are that way. Uh, we're all sinful human beings. So the sacrament doesn't have to operate by the holiness of the person who is celebrating the sacrament. Again, it operates by the sign of the sacrament itself. And so it doesn't make any difference to us if the priest uh, is, is, is sinful, of course, all people are sinful. Uh, the sacrament is still applied to us because the priest has the authority to stand in and do it. And the sacrament is Jesus Christ working himself. And so if we're open to it, it's effective and we don't have to actually 
be experiencing it in the sense of having an emotional experience. So, now, I think that's one of the important things with any of the sacraments is being open to it. Why go and receive the sacraments and become part of it if you're not open to what the church teaches about it? Exactly. And uh, that openness, I know as a kid being confirmed, you wait in the old rite, the bishop would ask you a question or whatever, and we were all scared to death. But he would also, when after he anointed your head and the, the sign of the cross, he would tap your face, you know, slap your face lightly. Really, it's a tap. And you wait, we all waited for the Holy Spirit to come down. Uh, he didn't appear. <laughs> now, I've tried to convey that uh, when we were teaching RCIA that just because you don't feel it at the time doesn't mean it didn't happen because most of us don't have that experience. Exactly. Oh. And, and I think the slap was a left. It, it, uh, oh, Katie, you were going to say something? Well, I just, I just, it's going back to baptism and the Holy Spirit coming down and, you know, being open to it and understanding what's happened. But, um, I've just had a lot of peers my age and people who aren't Catholic ask, why baptize the baby so young when they don't understand and they can't be open to what's being done to them? And so I thought that would be a good way for you to answer that question. That's a good point. And we'll get back to that again uh, in more depth, but I'll answer it now. And, and the fact is, is that uh, because the parents are a stand-in for the child. We don't want to keep a child from the church and from experiencing grace in Christ simply because the child is not old enough to make his own decision. I mean, consider, Katie, you know how to read and write, do you not? I do. Okay, did you make a choice to go to school and learn how to read and write? No, I was a kid. And if you were, say, five years old and you were out playing in the yard and having fun in the sand pile and eating ice cream and uh, you had a swimming pool out there and a uh, hose and so forth and the kids were all playing and your mother came out and said, Katie, would you like to go to school? What would you have said? No. Exactly. But you went. Are you glad you went? I'm very glad. Are you glad you learned how to read and write? I'm very glad. Are you glad that you read and write and, and speak the language that you're, you know, English and so forth that your mother speaks? Absolutely. And that you fit in with all of the people? Yeah. And that your life is improved and better because of it? Part of the community now. And isn't it a good thing that your mother stood in for you? Yes. And he made the decision for you? Yes. And uh, the fact is, is that if uh, you get older later on, if you decide that you want to throw your education away, not use it, you didn't want to go to nursing school and so forth, you wouldn't have had to, would you? No. But you, but you were able to. Yes. Right. And that's a good thing. It's the same thing with uh, going to church. And baptism. Your baptism and all the rest of it. Your mother acts on your behalf because she's older than you and smarter than you are. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, so, she was at the time, huh? Yeah. <laughs> right. And the fact is, is that the sacraments operate, you know, ex opere operato by the power of the signs themselves. You get the grace, even though you're a little kid. You don't have to bring anything with it and come to it as our Protestant friends think. This is why Christ did it this way. Yes. And this is why it operates, because that's how human beings are. Yeah, and you're saving the baby child from original sin and you're cleansing their soul which exactly, exactly. you want to get that done as soon as possible exactly. exactly 
because the sacraments work from God and not from us, we are free to focus all our attention on God and not on ourselves. The other part of that answer is when the apostles went out and baptized, they did so and they baptized whole families, even the uh, maids, the the slaves, everything, anybody that was part of that household was baptized. And they didn't say you had to be a certain age. No, and they people did. forget that. I mean, they get so into the uh, words that are in the Bible that they overlook some of them. Exactly. Uh, Paul said that uh, he baptized whole households. So if he baptized whole households, it's unlikely that he came across only households who didn't have children. Right. Most likely, some of those households had children. And if he baptized the whole household, he baptized those children. Even if they didn't fully understand what was happening. Exactly. Exactly. So if Paul did this, then you know we also do it as well. So uh, there's no reason why anyone should wait to baptize. And the whole history of the church shows that from the very beginning— if you look, go look at it and see the baptismal fonts and so forth in, in the earliest churches, they were there to accommodate children as well as adults. I mean, it wasn't just a baptism by immersion. That is one of the ways to baptize, of course, and it's a very good way to baptize. But nevertheless, there were lots of baptismal fonts that we can see back in the very earliest churches that were for uh, little children. And so it's uh, important to understand that. And I think... Uh, because once you get the idea that you're saved by Martin Luther's concept, that you're saved by faith and only faith alone and nothing else, the need for sacraments sort of falls by the wayside. They become redundant. And so they become less important, less important until finally uh, it was just decided that by most Protestants or a lot of Protestants, I'm not, I shouldn't say most, I don't know for sure, but baptism for them is just uh, an ordinance rather than a sacrament. Yeah. And uh, it's something that just a sign that shows that you are a Christian. And so, therefore, it's not that important. But to Catholics, it is because we were given the sacraments from the very beginning and the church has handed everything down. Just like Paul says, I hand on to you what was given to me. That's what Paul says. And Josie now, having been baptized, she is open as innocent as can be. Actually, the only saint in the family now. Um, she is open to uh, the grace that will help her grow in understanding and closeness to God. She is open to it. Yeah. So. Because you made the decision to have her baptized. You open the door for her soul. That's right. And because the sacraments op operate this way, we can thus be freed from concern with our imperfections. So you can go to church, and you don't have to be concerned that you don't feel all kinds of uh, emotional, uh, some kind of you know, acceptance and so forth when you receive communion or when you go to confession or any of those things. The sacraments are working uh, in spite of all that. So if you're yeah. open to them and you believe in them, even though you bring in there sometimes uh, your imperfections and you bring in your distractions and so forth, which you can't help because you're human and God understands that. And so the sacraments are still working and you can be sure when you're in a confessional or when you go to communion, if you're open to it and properly disposed, 
then it works and uh, you come out and you're freed from your sins and you have received Christ in the Eucharist and the things are working as they should. Okay, any more comments on that? Any questions? No, this one. It says uh, here, because Christ is really present in sacraments, they are a highway to heaven and they are eschatological. And what does that mean? Anybody know here what eschatological means? It's, okay. Eschatological has to do with the end times. In other words, they are to do pointing us toward the ending of our life and pointing us uh, toward the afterlife, pointing us toward heaven. That's what eschatological means. It says, uh, how sacraments are not like magic. A sacrament is indeed supernatural and indeed efficacious. That is, it really works. In those two ways, it seems like magic, but it is in at least one essential way, a sacrament is just the opposite of magic. It is a free gift and therefore must be freely accepted in order to be received. It is not automatic or impersonal. Though it does not come from the soul of the recipient, yet it can be blocked by the soul of the recipient, wholly or partly. And the degree of grace we receive depends on the degree of our faith, hope, and love. In other words, you have to be open to it. It's sort of like sunlight. You can stand out in the sunlight, and it's a beautiful sunny day. Yeah, but you you don't, you know, you're not the one that causes the sun to shine or to cause the, the, the power of the rays and so forth to be on you. But you can open your eyes a little bit. You can open them a lot, or you can shut them completely. So you can shut out the sacrament. You, you, you can, it's sort of like putting up an umbrella to keep out the rain. God's rain is there free for the taking. And grace is sort of like that. It's like rain, free for the taking. But if you put up an umbrella between yourself and the grace, of course, you can block it out. So you do have some power over that, uh, even though it works automatically. Right. That's called free will. Exactly. Well, yeah. What would be an example of like holding an umbrella to block out the grace to receive it? Well, it would be simply saying, you know, I, uh, I, re <laughs> I won't obey. I refuse to believe. I, I, you know, I. This is boring, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, not really right. wanting to participate. I don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this, so I'm not getting anything out of this, and I'm not going to get anything out of this because I don't want to get anything out of this. That yeah, would be that's a, point. a way yeah. of blocking out the grace. You have to be open. You have to believe that uh, things operate the way they should. And be open to it. It doesn't mean you have to be jumping up and down and everything else and all excited every time you go to church and otherwise you're not getting anything out of it. But at the same time, you have to go and be civil in the sense that you're open. And as a new mother, as Josie grows and if she has any siblings and you go to church and you come out and say, I don't know why I was ever there, <laughs> don't doubt there was a reason for it and there was grace given to you, even though... You are terribly distracted. <laughs> Maybe frustrated, yeah. yeah very, yeah. very <laughs> frustrated. Okay. There's also a relation between the sacraments, faith, and tradition. Uh, though we receive grace from the sacraments in proportion to our individual faith, even that private and individual faith in turn depends on the church's public and collective tradition. That is, what Christ handed over or handed down. The literal meaning of tradition. That is exactly what it means. It means to hand on or to hand down. That's what uh, tra tradition means. Thus, St. Paul's formula in defining the Eucharist in 1 Corinthians 
he says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. In other words, what he, what he got from Christ, he hands on to others. And that is how our faith is passed on from one generation to the next and one person to the next. What we receive, we hand on. And we hand on exactly as we received it. Uh, the church's faith precedes the faith of the believer who is invited to adhere to it. When the church celebrates the sacraments, she confesses the faith received from the apostles. And that's exactly how the church uh, goes. That's what tradition is. There's a sacred tradition. And, uh, you know, there's the, you know, the uh, godly tradition. That is the tradition that Christ handed down. And then there's what we call sacred tradition. That is the, the sacred tradition that was handed on to the apostles from God. And then the, there is ecclesiastical tradition, and that's the tradition that was handed down from the apostles to the rest of the church and has been handed on to this day and keeps on being handed on in exactly the same way. The dogma keeps on being handed on. It can be understood better as time goes on and doctrine is developed, but it doesn't change. We don't uh, abandon it, and we don't invent something new. So that is exactly how it goes on. The church's faith precedes the faith of the believer who is invited again to adhere to it. When a church celebrates the sacraments, she confesses the faith received from the apostles. So the sacraments have been handed on from the very beginning. Paul tells us that right at the start. What I have received from Christ, I hand on to you. And that is what tradition is. Sometimes I've talked about... Oh, tradition before. Well, it looks like we're running out of time here in, a, in our second uh, segment. So we're going to have to stop here and take a break. So stay with us. We'll be right back. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. This is it. The final performances ever in Bloomington, Illinois. This is the last season for the spectacular performances of the American Passion Play. The greatest story ever told. The American Passion Play brings Christian history to life with authentic costumes, elaborate settings, and live animals. There's intrigue, drama, friendship, and as the plot unfolds, betrayal, sorrow, and love. You must see the American Passion Play before its final curtain falls at the Center for the Performing Arts in Bloomington. Viewed by generation after generation, this is theater at its best. Performance dates are March 11, 18, 25, and April 1st, and each performance begins promptly at 1 p.m. Reserve your American Passion Play tickets today by calling 309-829-3903. Am I pregnant? This is often the first question a woman needs answered when she comes to the Pregnancy Resource Center. What now is the second question. Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center is committed to providing excellent care, compassionate support, and honest information to those facing pregnancy decisions through authentic relationships that display grace, honor life, and foster community. 
Living Alternatives needs your help to encourage and support women in Bloomington Normal. Make your donation or find out more ways to get involved at PregnancyResourceCenter.org. Hi, this is Bob Johnson. You're listening to Being Catholic right here on Catholic Spirit Radio. We're back from our break. We've been talking about uh, the sacraments, uh, what they are and how they work. And uh, we've been talking about the fact that the sacraments uh, depend on our tradition. They have been handed down from the very beginning, from Christ to the apostles, and from the apostles on to the uh, rest of the church, to the disciples, and, and then handed on down through the church all the way to this day handed down to us. And St. Paul said very clearly, you know, what uh, I the, what I received from the Lord, I also delivered to you. And that's exactly how the church operates, and that's how the sacraments operate through the church. They're handed on down. They are a gift from God. They're a gift from Christ, and they operate by Christ's power himself. And uh, we just have to be open to them. And we might ask uh, from the sacraments, of course, uh, they're instituted by Christ to give grace. So we have to define what is grace. The sacraments give grace, but what is grace? Grace has been defined as an undeserved gift of God. It is undeserved for two reasons. First, because God is our creator and therefore can owe us nothing. All good things we receive, beginning with our very existence, are gifts from God's generosity, not owed to us in justice. And just think about that. I mean, you know, we, we say that sometimes, but I don't think we think about it, is that everything that you have, your birth, everything, none of it came from you. Not a thing. All the materials you have on earth to work with, you didn't make them. In fact, you can't make them. We don't know what matter is, really. We don't know how to make it. We don't know how to bring it into existence. So we can use it, but it's a gift that was given to us. Our own lives is a gift that was given to us. Uh, we didn't deserve them. Nobody, uh, we didn't earn them. There isn't any reason why we should have them. Uh, there isn't any reason that something should be here. I mean, the fact that something has to come into existence, as we know, has to come into existence by the power of something else, and that has to come into existence by the power of something else, and on and on and on. In other words, uh, there has to be something that causes the things to come into existence, the things to change, because all change takes place outside of ourselves or outside of any particular thing that changes. Things don't change themselves. So there has to be an unchanged changer that changes everything in the first place and brings it into existence. And, of course, that basically is what we call God. And that is where everything comes from. We certainly don't bring it into existence ourselves. We're here to use it, and that's all. So it's a gift from God, and that's what grace is. It is undeserved, again, because God is our creator. Second, God's grace is doubly undeserved because we are sinners. We have broken our covenant relationship with him and disobeyed his law. Yet our disobedience cannot change God's nature. God is love, and therefore God continues to give grace. Sin stops us from receiving it, but not God from giving it. So this idea of our sometimes that God stops giving grace is, is simply a false idea. Uh, God doesn't stop giving grace. We simply decide to stop receiving it. And sometimes we decide that we are in charge of everything, and we've made everything, and we, we're not thinking very clearly when we do that. Uh, grace is not some thing that God gives, as if grace were like gasoline uh, and the sacraments were like filling stations. 
Rather, God's grace is God himself, God's own life in our souls. For God is love, and the lover's primary gift to the beloved is the gift of himself. An increase in grace means an increase in intimacy with Christ. So it's a gift, and uh, it's God himself, uh, his life in our souls. It's not uh, some kind of a thing. Uh, The freedom of God's grace. Because love is necessarily free, freely given and freely received, therefore we obtain grace by freely cooperating with God, not by automatic deposits to our accounts. We cannot be passive like piggy banks. God demands we act and choose. God will take the initiative and seduce our souls, but he will not force himself on us. When he accomplished the most tremendous deed in history, the Incarnation, he first asked permission of Mary before giving himself to her. She cooperated in the redemption, and so must we. We must freely accept God and open our souls to his grace, ex opere operantis. In other words, God operates, or the, the sacraments operate ex opere operanto by the power of the sign themselves, but we have to operate ex opere operantis, meaning by our own power to be open. So we do have to be open. Thus all the initiative is God's, yet the sacraments are not magical or automatic or impersonal. They work, ex opere operato, because as Christ assured us, apart from me you can do nothing. And it's true. They work, ex opere operantis, because as St. Augustine reminded us, God created us without us, but he did not will to save us without us. We cannot do it without him, and he will not do it without us. So we have to be open. God will do the work, but we have to be open to it. Sin and the need for sacraments. Man needed no sacraments in Eden, for he knew God with face-to-face intimacy. And we will need no sacraments in heaven for the same reason. But our weak and fallen human nature needs them now. Doubt about the need for sacraments often comes from loss of the sense of sin. And I want to really comment on that. That's one thing, that's one word that we have lost today. And that word is sin. People avoid using it. Uh, you go to the schools, it's not used. It's not used that seems like on uh, our, our media anywhere. You don't see it in a movies much anymore. There's this whole idea that sin doesn't exist. We're a society that has <laughs> abandoned the idea that it is sin or sinful. Uh, we seem to use the word unacceptable instead. You hear it all the time. Oh, that, that behavior is unacceptable. This is unacceptable and that is unacceptable. Uh, except everything has become, uh, has become acceptable. That's a loss, loss of conscious, uh, conscience. It seems like everything has become acceptable except uh, refusing to go along with uh, the woke society. Yeah. That seems to be still unacceptable. Uh, the idea of uh, accepting sin seems to be unacceptable. Uh, it, it, it seems like it's a one-way street. It goes in one direction. Everything that uh, the woke culture advocates is acceptable, and anything that it doesn't advocate is not acceptable. But nothing seems to be sinful anymore. The word sin has sort of been abolished from, from our vocabulary. And uh, it's a dangerous idea when people think that uh, they are no longer sinful and uh, that they can 
But if you, if you talk about unacceptability, what does it mean? I mean, why is something unacceptable? You have to ask that question. I was just about to ask that. Yeah, good. <laughs> I'm glad you were getting these. <laughs> Yeah, what I, makes that unacceptable? Yeah, and I know you have another uh, question also, and we're going to get to that eventually. We may not get to it today, but we will on yeah, why okay. there are seven sacraments and what they cover and so forth. We will get to that. But you're right. I mean, why is something unacceptable? You know, to say something unacceptable doesn't really say much. It, it doesn't tell you why it's unacceptable. <laughs> According to who, right. And by whose authority. Exactly. There we go. Again. <laughs> And that's what an authoritarian society, when we're talking about why is there this attitude against uh, Christianity, against religion in general, and against Catholicism, and especially Orthodox Catholicism in particular. And the, the reason why is because it goes behind the idea of uh, this the, the, uh, authority. In other words, why, when we think about it, should any particular group of people or person be in total authority over the world or total authority over society or total authority over us? Where do they get their authority from? Where does it come from? I mean, did somebody give it to them? Did all of us somehow or another hand the authority to, uh, say, the the uh, top college professors or something in our society? Well, we have. Did we hand it over to a particular politician? I mean, where where does authority come from? I think a lot of it comes from social acceptance by others and social media. It does come from, but social acceptance from others and by social media. But the like, fact oh, is, is cool. all, the fact is, as God says, all authority comes from God. You can do nothing without me. And our modern society seems to be showing in its breakdown that that's true. <laughs> that without God, everything oh. seems to fall apart and break down. That uh, Because everything is falling correct. down. It's why the hierarchy or structure of the church has a head to make the final decisions. Where did he get the authority? From Christ. And even when he handed over the keys to Peter and said, "Whatever you bound, bound on <clears throat> on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loosen is loosened in heaven." And Christ Himself said to Pilate, "He said, you would have no authority if it wasn't for my Father in heaven.' In other words, all authority has to come from somewhere, and we know that." Everything that everything in this universe has to come into existence, and it has to come into existence from somewhere. I mean, if you look at the whole world and how nature works, and you look at everything, it, there's always something coming into existence, and it's always coming into existence by the power of something else. But that can't go on forever. A can't cause B, and then B causes C, and then C causes D, and then D causes A. That's absurd. It doesn't work. Something can't bring itself into existence before it's in existence. If we we take a, a stick and put it on our hand, it just sits there. Until something else acts on it, it doesn't turn into ashes, for example. It doesn't turn into ashes until we touch a flame to it or until we stick it out in the open air and sunlight and so forth and bacteria and stuff all operate on it and turn it into something else. So something has to bring something else into existence. That can't go around in a big circle. There has to be something outside that circle and outside the universe itself that causes all the change in the universe. The universe itself can't cause change in its own self. It can't bring its own self into existence before it's in existence. 
and it can't be and stay in existence and be doing all those changes if there isn't something doing the changing and the changing can't be the universe itself. There has to be something outside it and to bring it into existence. So there has to be some authority that's outside of ourselves, outside of the universe itself. And that authority is what Christ said, my father in heaven. And Pilate himself not only would not have any authority, the will that he has and the life force that he has would simply go out of existence without the constant authority of God. And that's what Christ was talking about. So anyhow, here, Katie, I think we're going to have time to get to your question. Uh, why does the church have seven sacraments? Okay, because Christ instituted seven sacraments. Is that a good answer? Well, <laughs> I guess... What are the seven in... Okay, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. A sacrament must be instituted by Christ. The church did not invent them. She only defined and uh, defended them. There are seven sacraments in the church. Baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, penance, anointing of the sick, holy orders, and matrimony. This is a defined doctrine. Adhering to the teaching of the Holy Scriptures, to the apostolic tradition, and to the consensus of the fathers, we profess that the sacraments of the new law were all instituted by Jesus Christ our Lord. This was said by the Council of Trent in 1547. How does the church know this to be true, and why did it take her 1,500 years to define it? As with the other dogma of the faith, it is God who revealed this truth but he revealed it gradually in accordance with humanity's way of learning. We learn to understand and appreciate great truths only gradually, and divine grace uses human nature and its learning style rather than setting it aside. All important doctrines took time to be defined. The church never adds new doctrines to the original deposit of faith. Uh, so why did Christ institute seven sacraments? The seven sacraments touch all the stages and all the important moments of the Christian life. Birth, which is baptism. Maturing, which is confirmation. Strengthening by food and drink, the Eucharist. Repair and restoration, that's penance. Service of others, matrimony and holy orders. And strengthening in serious illness and preparation for death. And that's the anointing of the sick. The sacraments of Christian initiation, baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist lay the foundation of every Christmas life. Uh, the sharing in the divine nature given to men through the grace of Christ bears a certain likeness to the origin, development, and nourishing of natural life. The faithful are born anew by baptism, strengthened by the sacraments of confirmation, and receive in the Eucharist the food of eternal life as birth, maturing, and strengthening by the food and drink are at the foundation of our regular natural bodily life. Holy orders and matrimony prepare us for lifelong service. The two are similar, for the priesthood is a form of marriage, marriage to the church, and marriage too is a form of priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. So we have to remember as, as Catholics and Christians, we are all priests. We all belong to the priesthood of believers. Uh, and if you'll notice, the sacraments, you know, pretty much in order, go through the different stages of your life as you grow. Yes. They are like a rite of passage. 
that each time you receive a new sacrament, it's at a different point in your spiritual life and in your physical life. So it follows that. And seven is the perfect number, is it not? Oh, yes. Yes, it is. It can only be divided by itself in one, evenly. It's a, and finally, there are two sacraments of repair, penance and the anointing of the sick, repair and strengthen the souls and bodies. The last is also our preparation for our final journey of death, our viaticum. So that's the reason for the seven sacraments. They touch every aspect of our life. And uh, we need to understand uh, marriage, uh, who pronounced it? Well, we'll get to, when we go to the individual sacraments, we'll get right. that. Right. We're getting to about the end of our segment yeah, here. Okay. So we're going to stop here. We've gotten through just about all of the concept of the sacraments. There may be a few more to touch on next week, but next week we're going to come back and we'll uh, finish up uh, what the sacraments are generally. It won't take us too long. And then we will go into the individual sacraments uh, and how each of them works and what each of them are for. So we'll do that next week. In the meantime, St. Michael, the Archangel, defend defend us us in battle. battle. Be Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May May God God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And And do thou, thou, Prince Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power power of God, God, thrust thrust into hell Satan and all all evil spirits who wander through through the world through the ruined souls. Amen. Pray for peace. You've been listening to Being Catholic with Bob Johnston on Catholic Spirit Radio. If you'd like to contact Bob, email bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Again, that's bob at catholicspiritradio.com. Catholic Spirit Radio relies on your support to bring programming like this and EWTN 24 hours a day. Please help keep Catholic Spirit Radio on the air with your generous support. Donate online at catholicspiritradio.com. Or send a donation to Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. That's Catholic Spirit Radio, 108 Boykins Place, Normal, Illinois, 61761. Catholic Spirit Radio is a 501c3, and all donations are tax-deductible. Thank you for your support of Catholic Spirit Radio.